You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. I think a lot of people have so much shame about being laid off that they kind of keep it to themselves. And one of the best things you can do is actually share it with a lot of people because they're going to be the ones who are probably going to help you find a job. I think not feeling alone is also very important. And one of the best things you can do is just have someone who's going through the same thing as you to talk to. Your life, it's going to change. Jobs, kids, houses. Are you financially ready to enjoy the ride? Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor today because you've got a lot to look forward to, but it always helps to be prepared. Hey, everybody. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. We have been talking a lot, a lot about the possibility of a recession over the last several months. For a while, it's been up in the air exactly when that recession is going to hit, but economists are more and more certain that it's probably going to happen sometime in 2023. The Wall Street Journal recently conducted a survey of economists and more than two-thirds predict that it will happen this year. Bloomberg's most recent poll of economists also puts the odds of a recession this year at 70%. At Her Money, we are trying to prepare your wallet for the tough times ahead. We've tackled how to manage your budget during a downturn, how to invest, how to stay on track for retirement. And today, we are going to focus on another very important avenue for making sure your goals and your personal economy are recession-proof, and that is your career. We have seen some mass layoffs over the past couple of months across different industries. Companies like Twitter, Meta, Peloton, DoorDash, and H&M have let go of hundreds, sometimes even thousands of employees at a time. Forbes has been tracking these mass layoffs, and they estimate that nearly 125,000 workers lost their jobs in the second half of 2022, and those layoffs are continuing into 2023. Companies like DirecTV, Coinbase, Goldman Sachs have already announced more cuts. Now, look, I know all of this sounds scary. It is scary. It is incredibly stressful to feel like things are out of your control when you have worked so hard to succeed. But even though a recession isn't in your control, your career in many ways is. So in this episode, we're going to walk you through the steps that you can take to protect your job during a recession, as well as what to do if you are laid off and how you can get back on your feet and come back stronger. Joining me today to discuss all of this is Lauren McGoodwin. Just like our team at Her Money, Lauren is on a mission to help women feel healthier, more successful, and more fulfilled at work. She is the founder and CEO of Career. Contessa, a career site for women that offers advice, coaching, online courses, and an anonymous salary database. Very helpful that. She is also the author of the book Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot, Reboot, and Build a Career of Purpose. Lauren, so great to have you here. Hi, thank you for having me. So you actually graduated college and started your career in 2009 during the Great Recession. How do you think that experience shaped how you approach your career and how you've coached other women to success? 
I can't say I recommend starting your career in a recession, although it does help you build resilience and kind of take that anxiety that I I started my career with and hopefully wield it in a positive way where I try to be very proactive. And the women I coach who are thinking about career moves, whatever it is, it's like, well, you can't control if there's a recession or mass layoffs at your company, but here are the things that you can control and let's focus on those things instead. So I I try very much to have an approach that's like, let's be proactive instead of reactive. And a lot of that comes down to people always think it's like these heroic moves at the very end. And it's not most of the time, it's like these small manageable steps that you're taking habits, behaviors, things like that, that you're taking on a daily basis that will help you be more prepared for whatever comes your way, recession, layoff, you name it. What kind of steps? So small steps could be like networking or, you know, staying in touch with, you know, all the people you worked with at your old company. When I was a fresh grad, it was, you know, getting on LinkedIn and networking and joining LinkedIn groups or going to, you know, at the time there were like these meetup groups that were kind of big for industries, reaching out to complete strangers about informational interviews. So I actually through a family friend, got a job working at a university. It was not my top choice, but you know, you have to start somewhere. Took that, basically figured out that recruiting was sort of my calling, the thing I really wanted to do. And I reached out to over 70 recruiters on LinkedIn for informational interviews. About 30 of them got back to me. So that's a less than 50% success rate. But I used those informational interviews, which I was able to control. How often did I reach out to people? Did I follow through? I used those informational interviews to help me learn about the industry, figure out where I had skills gaps, that kind of thing, and then successfully applied to recruitment jobs and eventually landed one. I eventually became a recruiter at Hulu, but that was stuff that was totally within my control. And they were small steps. It wasn't like I spent eight hours every day trying to become a recruiter. I spent maybe an hour doing the career stuff that I needed to do that day, whether it was learning a new skill, reaching out to someone, having the informational interview, following up with someone to go to those next steps. And what I think is amazing about that story is you sent out 70 of these, right? 30 got back to you. I actually think this day and age, that is a very good success rate. But to the people who think, oh, I sent out a couple of resumes today, 70. And granted, not all in one day, but you know, it takes a mass effort in many, many cases. I remember when I was first applying to magazines, I mean, there was no internet, but I sent letters to pretty much every magazine and newspaper in the country. And that was what it took. You worked, I know, as a recruiter for Hulu, and then you launched Career Contessa in 2013 because you felt like there was a lack of career development resources for women specifically. What was missing? Well, you know, when you're in college, you get a career center, right? And then you enter the real world and there's no help in your career, right? Maybe there's some job search help, but as a lot of us know, getting the job is one major step. Yes, that's big, but then there's being successful within the job. You know, how do you have weird conversations with your boss? How do you get better at presenting? What about how do you give feedback to the coworker who you're struggling to collaborate successfully with? And I really felt like There was all these tools to get you the job. And then there was really nothing once you were there. And so much of your time and energy is spent within a job. And, you know, we spend so many hours at work. I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, I built the thing that was missing for me. I was looking for this thing. It didn't exist. At the time, there was like monster.com, LinkedIn. Work wasn't even a thing that media companies were really talking about. Maybe newspapers had a work section, but it was more about like what companies were doing versus like interpersonal skills. And so I launched career contessa to really help 
me navigate that and kind of as I was navigating things, I would talk to experts and people who, who knew that stuff. And then I would basically report it back via this website. And so I think obviously the work landscape has changed a lot in 2013. We went from like not talking at all about it to now, I don't want to say it's oversharing, but like, you know, there's a lot of talking about it. And I think it's so much better to be where we're at today, but I still urge people to always be like, look, if you heard one thing on a TikTok video about I don't know, like you should be making X, Y, Z amount of money. It's like, okay, that's one piece of data. Let's get a lot of data pieces. So, you know, I like that we're talking more about it today, but I'm very cautious about the pendulum can't swing all the way one direction or the other. We have to find a good part in the middle. And I hope Career Contessa does that. Everything is very research focused and expert backed. And, you know, we're not just throwing opinions out there about, you know, things in the career space. No, you're not just throwing opinions out there for all of our listeners who haven't checked it out. You guys should check out the site because it's fantastic. It's interesting that you talk about pendulum swings because I feel like that's where we are with the job market. We've gone from this incredibly tight labor market where people can't find people at all, let alone fast enough to talking about layoffs. And I'm wondering how worried you think people should be. I know obviously every industry is different, but should people be worried right now about layoffs or pay cuts or hiring freezes in the next year? I would say be cautiously optimistic that it's not going to happen depending on what role and company you are. If you are in a startup company that during the pandemic, their evaluation was way more than it should have been. If one plus one doesn't equal two, or like, you know, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Like, those are the companies. If you're working for one of those companies, then yes, I, I think it's important to ask questions. They cannot make money appear out of thin air to pay salaries. So, if something isn't adding up for you at work or you sit there and you're like, I don't even know how our company makes money. Okay. Yes. Then those are really good questions to say, maybe it's time to think about what else is out there. So I use this metaphor a lot, glitter versus glue. And the glue companies are, maybe they're not as like fun and impressive at a cocktail party, but they are the companies that have a very steady revenue stream or they've got product lines. They know what they're doing. They've been in business for a while. They can kind of back it all up. And then, you know, you've got the glitter companies where maybe they have a ton of funding and everybody's talking about them right now, but is there longevity there? Or is that a company who for example, like maybe their acquisition to get a customer is way too much for what they're selling. Things, again, where it's like it sounds and looks cool, but maybe there isn't enough there for that longevity piece. So I think if you're in a place where you're in the glitter side of stuff with your career right now, maybe it's time to start thinking about the glue side of things. You know, And the glue for you would be polishing your resume, updating your LinkedIn profile, you know, take a headshot against a blank wall and update it places. People are always surprised that that's a tip. And it's like, well, if your LinkedIn profile photos, you from 10 years ago, you know, all these little actions that you can take. And I think that's important for people to think about. It's not that I am overly worried that there's going to be layoffs everywhere, but do I think there's going to be hiring freezes? Yes. And especially when there are layoffs everywhere else, it makes companies pause and say, whoa, if this is going to get worse, we don't want to potentially have to do layoffs. So what can we do right now? And so they're going to reshuffle. And these are big questions. It's nothing personal. It's just like, this is what has to happen, especially when an economy is a bit shaky. So I actually think you're probably in a good place if your organization's thinking like that. Your organization is acting like nothing is happening. Then yeah, I, I would almost be more worried about that. 
Do you think it's possible to grow your career in a recession, to even grow your salary in a recession? I know there are a lot of people who've had salary gains over the past couple of years. Inflation has eaten up a lot of those gains for a lot of people. So, you know, there is reason to be looking for more money. Yeah, absolutely. And the short answer is yes. Like I, you know, especially if a company is doing layoffs and you're able to come in with a skill set that is very valuable to them, or you are reskilling in a place that's really valuable to them. You know, what companies are thinking about right now is what are the most important things that we need to focus on in order to maintain financial stability or even profits, right? Like that's something they're thinking about. And then for you to kind of work backwards from there and think about, okay, what are their top goals? And how is my work contributing to that? When you create value for a company and you have the contributions that are within the areas that they're very focused on, then yes, I absolutely think that you can grow your career and your salary. If you are in a position that is you know, not adding value, not focus on the things that are what they need to focus on in the immediate future, then, you know, going and asking for a raise, it's probably going to not be very aligned with what their priorities are, what they are focused on right now. Or if you know that the company is struggling. Yeah. I mean, if you know the company is struggling, instead of asking for money, I would think of something else that is of value to you. So could you have more flexibility or more autonomy? Maybe, you know, you don't have anyone helping you and there's an assistant. Could the assistant spend 50% of their time helping you and 50% of their time helping the other person? You know, I would get creative and think about, is there something that can help you give you your time back or give you flexibility or give you something that is of maybe not the same value as money, but still valuable to you. I want to dig into layoffs. We hope they don't happen to anybody who is listening today, but I do want to get specific about what to do if it happens to you. But before we do that, let me just remind everyone, life comes at you fast and there could be wedding bells on the horizon, a promotion around the corner, a grandchild on the way. Are you financially prepared, really prepared for everything life has in store? With a well-crafted financial plan, you can be ready. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor. You'll work with an expert to review your current situation to develop a long-term strategy that can help you embrace life's biggest moments. Schedule your free appointment today. I am talking with the career contessa, Lauren McGoodwin, about layoffs. So if you know that you're getting laid off, if you suspect that you're getting laid off, what are the immediate next steps that you take? Okay, so let me start with the second thing. If you suspect a layoff is coming or even you just want to be prepared for it, my new little saying is always be job searching. So if you think it's coming, here's what you can do to kind of prep yourself or at least be prepared. First, make sure you have an idea of your finances. Where is the money going? Where is it coming to? Be in a good place so that, you know, if you have some huge bill that you maybe want to prioritize paying off now while you've got the paycheck. So that's kind of a good first thing also, because if you get laid off, one of the steps I'm going to tell you is how long is your runway, right? How long until you have to find another job? And I'll talk about that in a second. So figure all of that out. The next thing you want to do is create that 
master resume. A lot of people maybe haven't created a resume since they got their job and if they've been working in their job for five years. I mean, it's, we're, it's so easy for us to just not think to keep that thing updated. So create a master resume. That master resume is going to get tailored every time you apply for a job, but this is your master resume that kind of has everything on it. That way, when you see a job that you want, it's easy and quick to apply to it. The other thing is update your LinkedIn profile, optimize it. I have a great podcast on this where we talked about how to optimize your LinkedIn profile for right now. It's all about keywords and networking and that kind of thing. And then the other thing you want to be doing, if you suspect you might be getting laid off with that always be job searching is start networking with people, start touching base with people. A great place to start is people you worked with before that have gone to other companies. And it's so nice because you can use this time of year or their their career change to be like, I wanted to see how are things going for you? What are you working on? So that's if you suspect you're being laid off, start kind of putting feelers out there about what is out there. And then also you can kind of start creating a list of companies or I call them target companies. So companies that really offer you the things that matter to you. So if you know flexibility is the number one thing and you want to work for a fully remote company, start keeping a list of the target companies that you would want to apply for, or you would potentially leave your current job to go there if there, you know, you felt like there was stability with that. Okay. If you've been laid off. Before you go to that, can I just ask as far as LinkedIn is concerned, what the rules of the road are? And I guess this applies for people who have been laid off as well for linking in. If you've applied for a job, you always get this feeling that it's just, especially if you're applying online, that it's just going into the wilderness. And I've told my kids and other people that I know, other young people that I know that you should try to make a connection on LinkedIn. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. So my rule of thumb is I tell people, if you've applied online, great, but you have not finished applying for a job. So when I was a recruiter, we would put up these job postings, which by the way, we spent a lot of time and energy creating these job postings. And then people would apply online. We'd get, you know, sometimes thousands of applications to one job. And I just want to point this out that sometimes while we were doing that, we would also be sourcing for candidates on LinkedIn. That's how a job can literally end up in your inbox is you meet the criteria of what we're looking for. We send you a message that says, Hey, we have this opportunity. Would you be interested in getting on it in a phone interview to learn more about it, right? So when you apply only online, remember, there's a thousand resumes on that job application online that I have to review. And a lot of applicant tracking systems will actually scan them for you and kind of take the ones that meet the criteria, aka the keywords and, and give them to you. So you only have to look at those. But my point being is like, if you were a person pressed for time, you would probably actually really appreciate the person who maybe applied online, but then also sends their resume directly to you via either a LinkedIn message, even better if you can find their email address and send it to them directly. And you can Google a lot of times what the person's email or how the company does their email addresses. So for example, when I was applying for my job at Hulu, I applied online, I connected with people on LinkedIn, sent them messages. Nobody got back to me, but I figured out how they set up their Hulu email addresses. And then I sent my email with my resume attached kind of an email of interest directly to a couple people. One of them forwarded it to the actual correct person and they called me for a phone interview. So you want to give yourself the absolute best chance that a human's eyeballs are actually going to look at your application. And so I agree that you can apply online. And sometimes I even tell people if they ask for you to apply online, please follow the instructions. 
But your best case scenario is giving yourself as many chances and opportunities to get in front of them. And that means figuring out what the email address is. Now, if you're like, well, who do I send the email to? If it says that the recruiting coordinator is going to report to the recruiting manager, go find the recruiting manager, right? So find, and you can use LinkedIn to figure out who that person is. If not, try to find someone who's in the department because oftentimes there might be a recruiter who's working on the role or someone at the company who's working to fill the role, but they are working with that hiring manager to fill the role. So a lot of times I would have a recruiting manager forward me the emails that came through to them and that kind of stuff. So to answer your question, (laughs) I do not tell people to just stop when you apply online. And I think we've done this disservice where we've made it so easy to apply for a lot of jobs online. And the key is you don't actually need to apply to a thousand of the wrong jobs. You need to apply to like one or two of the right jobs where you put 110% effort into it. So if you're not going to do those things, then don't bother applying. It's a waste of your time as well. Okay. I jumped in when you were just getting to that advice for people who have been laid off and I know that they need it. So if the layoff has already come. Yeah. So the first thing is don't sign anything. You know, they probably gave you some paperwork and even if you're not shocked, it's still kind of a visceral reaction of like, I've been laid off, especially if it's happened to you the first time. So go home, have your tears, call your mom, you know, that kind of thing, eat your ice cream. And go back to reading the documents when you're in a much less emotional state and make sure that you are getting, if there's anything you want to negotiate from that letter, oftentimes they'll tell you like, you don't get to negotiate any of these things, but just because they say that doesn't mean that you can't ask. Worst case scenario is they're going to say, no, this is the offer. And so an example of that might be if they're offering you, you know, six months of health insurance and you're already on your partner's health insurance, then maybe you could say, hey, I would really love to not have this. Can I have an ex- a little extra compensation? That's what I mean about negotiating. It's kind of just like moving the puzzle pieces around. Next thing you want to do once you've been laid off is kind of step one is figure out how long of a runway you have, meaning financially, how quickly do you need to get another job? I remember giving this advice a lot when COVID layoffs were happening. And what I would tell people is if you figure out that your runway is very short, there is no shame in taking a bridge career. A bridge career or bridge job is a job that helps you get to the next step that you want to get to. So find out who is hiring rapidly right now or still has a lot of job openings and apply there while you figure out the rest of it. So that's just something to think about when you do determine that runway. The next thing you'll want to do are sort of kind of like gathering your materials of what do you need to have in order to apply for those jobs. So you need to have a resume. You want to have that LinkedIn profile. You want to start networking. I'm a big fan of sending out a networking email either to a huge group or even better if you have the time and energy to send them out individually to people that lets them know that you're job searching, what your skills are, what you're looking for next, attach your resume, like do the work for them. So it's really easy for them to say, Oh, actually, you know, Susan just told me yesterday that she's actually looking for a new accountant and this person could be the perfect fit for it. So send out those job search emails, follow up with people, set up the informational interviews. The other thing you want to think about is what is it that you want to do next? You know, So if you've been laid off and you absolutely hated that job, hated that industry, so you want to do something completely different, then you might actually, in this process, and you have the runway to do it, 
you might actually want to take some time in this process to self-reflect and think about what parts of my last job gave me energy? What parts of my last job, where was I successful? What did I enjoy doing? And what companies are going to offer me that in the next round, right? In my next step of my career. An example of this might be, you know, you were working in recruiting, you really want to go into marketing, but you were working for an entertainment company and now you want to move into a tech company or or a financial company or whatever it is. And using that part of that time when you're within your runway time to have informational interviews and learn about an industry and more importantly, learn what skills gaps you have. So if you want to transition careers, you might learn that one of the things you really need to do during this time is take a class on Google Analytics or take a class on name the skill that, you know, there's a lot of software programs. Like, for example, Salesforce has like an entire training thing that's free, you know, that kind of stuff. So you don't have to become an expert necessarily, but in the interview process, you don't want to be hearing the name of that software for the very first time. So these are all steps you can do if you've been laid off and you're trying to figure out what's next. But if you can do all this knowing what your runway is and knowing, you know, how much time you have to figure this out. I think you'll just feel much more confident in the process. I think a lot of people have so much shame about being laid off that they kind of keep it to themselves. And one of the best things you can do is actually share it with a lot of people because they're going to be the ones who are probably going to help you find a job. I think I read a stat the other day that over 70% of jobs are found via networking. The other last thing I would do if you are, if you've been laid off, you probably were laid off with someone else from your company. Be each other's job search partners and schedule in time, almost like treat the job search like it's a job. So schedule in a little bit of time every day. You don't need to do it for eight hours, but you know, what two hours of today are you going to dedicate to your job search process? And then every Friday have a touch base call with your job search accountability partner where you guys ask each other. So what did you do this week? Did you get any interviews? What did you think about it? I think not feeling alone is also very important. And one of the best things you can do is just have someone who's going through the same thing as you to talk to. So what I love about this advice, Lauren, and what I know that our listeners are going to love about this advice is that it is so tactical. Our community is all about tactical, practical, we can do it. Just help us figure out what exactly it is we need to do. And when it comes to that runway and that financial runway, the only thing I want to add to that is austerity starts now, right? When you're looking at how much you're spending after a layoff, and this should be, you know, I feel like it's a little bit of common sense, but sometimes it's not. It's how much you absolutely need to spend at a minimum, right? and just extend that runway as long as you possibly can. You know, we know that workers have gained a lot of valuable benefits actually through the pandemic, remote work and flexible schedules. And it's led to, for many people, better work-life balance. People do not want to give that up, a lot of people. So how, when you're applying to a new job, can you maintain those boundaries? Yeah, I think it all starts in the interview process too, right? So you're almost like you're teaching them how to treat you from day one. So having boundaries about I'm available for the phone interview from this time to this time, they want you to take the call at 7am, you just tell them, you know, my hour starts at night. And I know that sounds kind of gutsy, but you really are 
training them how to treat you. And also if a company, these are like the red flags that you see in the interview process that people want to ignore. And then they're shocked that the company doesn't have boundaries once they take the job. So that's something for you to keep in mind. But also one of the best ways that I've found to create boundaries is to come up with some structure and communicate that structure. So you're managing, you're setting expectations up front as best you can. And then people, I think, actually perform or work better when there's structure and known expectations versus sort of like on the fly. And one of the things I love to do is use like my email signature. So if I worked remotely, I use my email signature to let people know, for example, these are my quote unquote working hours. If I get a message from you outside of the working hours, you can expect a response within 24 or 48 hours, whatever it is. I'm just using that as an example. And I love it because you're basically constantly communicating part of that structure to people. And I interviewed this woman who said that one of the best things that teams can do is teams can decide on what their communication preferences are, what their structure is. They come up with it together and then everybody's doing it. So if you're a manager, this is also a really good idea or you know, you get hired to manage a new team is together come up. What's the structure and the expectations for the team? And I think it will help with the boundaries a little bit. Fantastic advice. Lauren, thank you so much for doing this with us today. Where can my listeners find you? I know you've got a podcast. Lauren and I have spent the day recording podcasts with each other. So you'll hear me on hers, just like you're hearing her on mine. But where else can we find you? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast is the Career Contessa podcast. Our website is careercontessa.com. We are at Career Contessa on all social media platforms, although Instagram is our favorite. So we try to make it super simple, just Career Contessa. And then I'm Lauren McGoodwin on LinkedIn for anybody that wants to connect. Thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you for having me. And before we dive into our mailbag, just a reminder that Her Money is supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union that helps its members take control of their money using a variety of financial tools and resources. BCU's passion is to empower people to discover financial freedom by providing caring support and services that create the value that you deserve. Learn more at bcu.org. Catherine Tuggle joins me for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hello, Jean. I was thinking when Lauren was talking, this is a good time to make a confession to you as my hiring manager. Uh oh. So I just hid a job on my resume that I had for like six months that just never made it onto my resume. And I was able to very quickly escape from that job by doing exactly what Lauren suggested and guessing the email format of important people at the company that I actually wanted to work for. So she is 100% right. You have to basically go onto Google and be a little detective. 100%. And I use that, by the way, all the time as a reporter, right? It's not just for jobs. If you want to get information for people, if you want to contact people at a company, it's either first initial last name at that company, it's first dot last at that company. Sometimes it's just last, but you can very easily sleuth it out on the internet. It does not take a lot of time, but good for you. There is a job that's not on my resume either. I'm not talking about it, but but there is one. <laughs> yes, I think we all have those, but I felt like because I knew I had to make a quick escape, I was like pulling out all the stops. I was like, okay, how can I find more people? How can I network with more people? But it is great advice. And I think sometimes these days, there's so much email junk that when people get an email that's actually a real email that's meant for them, they're a little bit more inclined to read it. 
So true. So true. So let's dig into our mailbag. We know that these emails were intended for us and we are inclined to read them all. So if you've got a question, go ahead and and drop it to us at mailbag at hermoney.com. Yes, no need for any sleuthing. We would love for you to email us there. Our first question today comes to us from Katie. She writes, hello, thank you for always having compelling speakers and content. I look forward to getting caught up as soon as a new podcast is released. I'm wondering if you could provide any suggestions for our local volunteer fire department to allow firemen to grow their retirement nest eggs. My husband is coming up on 20 years of service and could retire and receive a lump sum of around $80,000 from the city. He's not yet ready to retire, however, and our growing community could definitely continue to benefit from his experience. The fire department has been the cornerstone of feeling connected to our community, and the thought of giving it up is super sad, not only for my husband, but also for myself and our two young kids. We're struggling with the decision, because if he stays, it only delays receiving his retirement payout, which would only grow by about $4,000 a year hereafter. He could easily spend another 5 to 10 years in the fire department, And with the markets being lower right now, that could be a significant loss in compounding if he doesn't take the payout. He's 48 years old and also will have a pension someday from his paid job for the county. I would love to suggest some easy and beneficial options to our city to help these men and women who tirelessly volunteer their time secure stronger financial futures. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for a great question. Thank you and and your husband, Katie, for for giving back to your community for such a long time. I got to be honest, I am struggling a little bit here with the math. So I just recently had a conversation with Mark Zandi. Mark Zandi is one of my favorite economists. He's one of my favorite financial forecasters. One of the things that we talk about often is how much can you expect your money to grow? And and if you're putting it to work, how much can you expect it to grow consistently over time? You said that if your husband does not take his lump sum, it is going to grow by about $4,000 a year. That's a 5% rate of return. And granted, that is not the rate of return that the stock markets have produced historically over time, but it is a guaranteed rate of return. And when I asked Mark what sort of expectations he had for the markets moving ahead, he said five to six percent. The double digit returns that we've seen taking 2022 out of the equation, those sort of double digit returns that we have seen should be looked at as a little bit of an anomaly and that we should not be depending on the markets to do that for us, at least for the next couple of years. In fact, if you look at the forecasts for 2023, a lot of the stock market forecasts are not particularly good at all. And so I'm wondering whether or not it makes sense for him to take the life experience that he wants to continue to have and to think about how much money you're really losing. I don't want you to just listen to me on this, though. I guarantee you that there are financial advisors in your community who work with firefighters, who have made a plan 
taking into account not just the lump sum, but the pension, as well as what else your husband has coming his way. Because as a volunteer firefighter, my my guess is that he's got other forms of income as well. And so I would encourage you to talk to other folks in the fire department, around the fire department, about who are the financial advisors in the community that specialize in this. Schedule a couple of appointments. It shouldn't cost you anything. Most financial advisors will meet with you on a voluntary basis for free, at least for the first meeting. Do some information gathering and then see where you land. But I I think that you may want to consider the fact that the money will not grow as fast potentially as you're expecting it to. That's great advice, Jean. I love the idea of going around and talking to people because I feel like this is something that a planner would really want to help with. I think so. And I also think it's a question that we shouldn't answer in a vacuum, right? Katie, I want to know about your retirement. I want to know about your income and your earnings. I want to know about your goals. I want to know about your mortgage. I want to know about how close you are to achieving the things that you want with your money and what sort of a difference an extra couple of percentage points on return make in terms of getting you there. Or if when we're looking at this from a goals perspective rather than a rate of return perspective, if you actually don't need to take that risk. Right. Yeah. Great questions, Jean. Yeah. Great questions from our community always. Katie, thank you so much for sharing. And in today's Thrive, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the difference between investing and trading. If you're new to the world of investing, you've probably heard people throw around a lot of phrases that you may not understand 100%. It's pretty easy to feel intimidated. Maybe it's even prevented you from beginning your investing journey. But at Her Money, we are committed to giving you the knowledge and the confidence that you need to invest, which is why today we're going to dig just a little deeper into definitions. You may have heard people use the words trading and investing interchangeably. Actually, they're very different things. Investing means putting some money aside in the hopes of a return on your investments. You could invest in a specific sector like technology, a specific company like Apple, or you could think of investing in terms of what's in your portfolio overall, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. They're all different types of investments, and you can find out more about each of them on hermoney.com. The time frame for those investments can vary a lot depending on the type of investments, but many people approach them as long-term commitments. You're planning in years, not weeks or months. Historically, the stock market does trend upward, so for the most part, the longer you hold your investments, as long as they're diversified, the greater your gain. Trading, on the other hand, is usually done in a much shorter time frame. It involves tracking the rise and the fall of stocks, currencies, and often other types of investments to buy them at a lower price, sell them at a higher price. You're often making these trades over the course of weeks, days, even hours. Trading 
can be a full-time job and the risk of losing money trading is higher than the risk of losing money investing. It tends not to be a strategy for investing. So if you're interested in investing long-term, focus on time in the market, not time in the market. Save 10% of your income or 15%, even better, each year. Build up your emergency fund and put any additional money into a diversified portfolio. Remember that your risk of losing money in the stock market actually goes down over the long term. So the sooner you start, the more you stand to profit. And if you're listening to this and you have more questions about investing, or trading, I would love to see you at Investing Fix. Investing Fix is my ongoing investment club for women. I lead it with my friend Karen Feinerman from CNBC's Fast Money. She, by the way, is a professional investor, a rock star. Join us and learn how to pick stocks, how to put money to work for your future, how to have fun while you're doing it. There is no judgment, no mansplaining, and no experience required, and it only takes a few hours a month. You can learn more or sign up at investingfix.com. And by the way, we spell fix with two X's. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Lauren McGoodwin for telling us how to weather a potential recession and come out of it stronger. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk soon. 